Good evening to Southern Mountain Baptist Church. <laughs> Let's bow for a brief prayer. Dear Lord, thank you for bringing us each here. Um, and Lord, we thank you for the, the freedom to, to meet here uh, in your name. Lord, we also thank you for those that are or will be watching online. And uh, Lord, we pray that uh, they will truly be blessed by uh, the teaching and uh, the songs and the prayers. In Jesus' name, amen. Grace greater than our sin. <clears throat> Marvelous grace of our loving Lord, Grace that exceeds our sin and our guilt Yonder on Calvary's mount outpoured There where the blood of the Lamb was spilt Grace, grace, God's grace Grace that will pardon and cleanse within Grace, grace God's grace, grace that is greater than all our sin. Dark is the stain that we cannot hide. What can avail to wash it away? Look, there is flowing a crimson tide. Whiter than snow you may be today. Grace, grace, God's grace, grace that will pardon and cleanse within. Grace, grace, God's grace, grace that is greater than all our sin. Marvelous, infinite, matchless grace, Freely bestowed on all who believe, all who are longing to see his face. Will you this moment his grace receive? Grace, grace, God's grace, grace that will pardon and cleanse within. Grace, grace, God's grace, grace that is greater than all our sin. Pastor. 
Well, I'm glad you guys were able to blow on in tonight. Now, see, when you go home, you're going to have a tailwind. Those of you going that way. <laughs> Little windy out there. And, and Dennis, as he's already went out and bought a snow shovel and a, some chains for his car. <coughs> so tonight we are going to be looking at how to find God's grace in my decision making. It's interesting to me that over the last, I don't know, three or four weeks, I probably had at least half a dozen people come and tell me, and I've heard it in various places, that some people have had to make some tough choices in the last few weeks. And they really struggle with that. Um, so we're going to talk about that for the next couple of weeks, just how to have peace, how to have God's peace in the midst of those decisions that you have to make. But let me give you a little insight here on something. I'm going to tell you about a big mistake that was made. On January 13, 2018, some of you may remember this, at 8.06 in the morning, every resident in Hawaii received the following emergency text on their cell phones. Ballistic missile threat inbound to Hawaii. Seek immediate, sh immediate shelter. This is not a drill. Do you think people panicked? Absolutely. Many rushed to them to find shelter in all places under the sea and the sewer systems. They panicked that much. They were making phone calls that overloaded the cell phone systems on the island and they were trying to reach loved ones here in the States or somewhere else and because they thought they were living their final minutes on Earth. And that whole thing lasted 38 minutes until 8.44, a second message went out and the message basically said that it was a mistake. The emergency message was supposed to only go to employees of the Hawaii Emergency Management System as a test to see how they would respond and what they would do. It wasn't supposed to go out to the general public. All whoever pushed the button pushed the wrong button. They made a mistake. And it's interesting because a lot of times when we think about making mistakes, the biggest problem with decision-making boils down to our fear of making the wrong decision, if we really, really think about it. It's the fear of making the wrong decision. Because we're all good when we make a good decision, right? We feel good about it, it's okay. When we're confronted with opportunity that arise like that, it's easy to become worried about making a bad decision. But when we have great decisions, we're comfortable with those. But a decision will always have consequences, not only for us, but often for many others as well. And that's what causes us to fear some of those decisions. So as we look at this, we're going to be looking at the book, book of Proverbs a lot the next two weeks. And there's multiple scripture passages on your papers that we're going to look at here in just a second, but I'm going to read you certain things, and you see those passages, and I want you to just write some things beside it as I read just a portion of those, and I want you to, you can look at those passages with me, or you can read along, but I, 
I'm just going to read the first part of that passage that fits here. Fits for what I'm going to tell you. And you can just write it out at the end of your uh, verse there. Where there is no guidance, the people fall. People will get hurt. People get hurt when we make the wrong decision. Through overconfidence comes nothing but strife. Relationships can be broken. Relationships can be broken. We've got to look at some tough stuff before we can look at some better stuff. A companion of fools will suffer harm. Sometimes we experience those unintended consequences. Unintended consequences. Where there is no vision, the people are unrestrained. We lose sight of proper boundaries in our life. We lose sight of the proper boundaries we need to set up to protect ourselves, to protect our family, maybe to protect others. And the last one there is, a fool is arrogant and careless. We damage our character. We can damage our character very, very easily. The simple truth is all decisions will have consequences either positively or negatively. Those negative consequences can be put in a multitude of different categories, but these five are the major ones that we typically think about when we're getting ready to make a decision. Let's read the whole verse of those. <clears throat> Where there is mo no guidance, the people fall. But in an abundance of counselors, there is victory. In an abundance of counselors, there is victory. Through overconfidence comes nothing but strife. But wisdom is with those who receive counsel. The next one is one who walks with wise men will be wise, but a companion of fools will suffer harm. Where there is no vision, the people are unrestrained, but happy is one who keeps the law. And then the last one, a wise person is cautious and turns away from evil, but a fool is arrogant and careless. You guys see what the solution is? In those passages? Say it again. Be wise. Seek God's wisdom. We need to have wisdom. When you have wisdom, you're able to discern between what's good and what's bad more appropriately. And it's, it's often much easier to make those decisions, and you don't struggle with those decisions nearly as hard or as much. When you have wisdom, you can make wise decisions very easily. Without wisdom, you don't. And it eliminates the stressors in our life, and it makes those experiences to have God's peace more readily available to us. So how do we get wisdom? How do we get wisdom to make those decisions? Well, first thing, we have to make wise decisions by saturating ourselves in the Word of God. Saturating ourselves in the Word of God. And I, I tell you guys this from time to time from the pulpit on Sunday morning, and those that are watching online or listening on, online, um, it's a situation where you need to get into God's Word. 
Did you know there are 30 or 31 days in almost every month? Did you realize that there are 31 chapters in the book of Proverbs? And if you took and put together a reading program for yourself of reading one chapter of Proverbs every day each month, how much wiser you would be? Most months either have that 30 or 31 days. And I'm going to put out a challenge here. I'm going to challenge you guys to read uh, a chapter of Proverbs every day for a month. And see if you don't pick up some insight into God's word. And what will keep us safe and what will give us wisdom. Above and beyond. There's probably no book in, in all the Bible that's changed or spoken to me more than Proverbs. If you saturate yourself in, in God's word and in the book of Proverbs, you're going to have the right balance of confidence. You're going to have balance of confidence beyond your abilities and beyond my abilities because it's God's abilities that are working through you. It's not our own. Warren Worsby writes, in Proverbs, the word wise and wisdom is used 125 times. 125 times. So there's got to be something to it. If you want to eliminate the stress in your life, I highly recommend you start reading a chapter a day. It won't take long. You know, because I'm in Scripture so much, I personally find it hard to read certain things. And my mind's going about ten different directions at once. I always tell ladies when they say something to me, I said, look, I'm not a woman, I can't multitask. <laughs> All right? But when it comes to reading and reading programs, I'm much better at reading, and I read every day. Part of New Testament, part of the Old Testament, part of Proverbs, and part of Psalms. But I have a two-year reading program to read through the Bible every two years. Because I'm always in Scripture, basically all day long, one way or another. But that is my consistent reading program. Part of New Testament, part of the Old Testament, part of Psalms, part of Proverbs. Mary? Yeah. 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 No, but that's good because it because it gives us a different viewpoint, whether it's a translation, a various translation, or a transliteration. Like I've started reading a lot of Peterson's message because it's in terminology that a lot of our younger people are are reading and thinking about. Is it is it is it way different sometimes? Yeah. But you have to remember, it's a transliteration. It's not a translation from the early Hebrew or Greek. So you just have to keep in mind what you're reading when you're reading it. Um, if, you, if you continue to read that, you're going to be able to acquire and apply the wisdom that God gives you through those readings each and every day. <coughs> so here's the thing. Don't stop at Proverbs, though. If you don't have a reading program, if you'll ask me, 
I'll print you out some good ones. But most of you here probably already have a reading program, but some people don't. And they find it difficult to do that unless they have something that gives them some guidance. So if you need that, I'll be more than happy to give you one. That's not an issue. Um, the entire Bible is God's revelation to us for what we're how we're supposed to live here and how we're supposed to prepare for the future, right? I don't hear any amens. There you go. That's better. <clears throat> the entire Bible is a source of wisdom. So wouldn't it make sense as his followers, as Jesus' followers, that we would want to learn as much as we can and have as much of his wisdom as we can? Because we're supposed to become more and more like him each and every day, right? That's the key. <clears throat> it's been said in the past that nothing less than a whole Bible can make a whole Christian. So, how do we become that whole Christian? What does it take? Another thing we have to do is, we, we do that by securing our attitude towards Scripture. And securing our attitude towards Scripture, I basically mean that we have to saturate uh, our, our life with God's Word, but we need to secure that. And what I mean by that is, a lot of Christians know they're supposed to read the Bible every day, right? But a lot of Christians don't read the Bible every day. Why? I think they look at it as, as a, sort of like the vitamins on our shelf. It's a daily supplement. It helps us feel better and helps us live better, but we don't always take those vitamins, right? So sometimes we have to remind ourselves, Scripture is not just a supplement. It is the foundation of everything we need in life. And that foundation helps us live a, a healthier and happier and holier life, if we really think about it. His word invites us to sit at his feet each and every day and discover new wisdom and new things. How many of you, let's just see a show of hand, I'm curious real quick. How many of you, when you read a section of scripture, and you've read it maybe ten times before, but all of a sudden you pick something out of it that's new? Yeah, see? It's, it's, we don't think about it, and a lot of Christians don't really apply it, and they don't think about it because they're not reading it. But the more we read it, the more insight we gain. He says the more we get into his word, the more he's going to open his eyes and reveal different things to us. <clears throat> God's word invites us to be with him each and every day. If we really want to live a Christ-like life, I think it's important that we, we get into his word every day, we saturate ourselves with his word, we secure his word in our life, and that allows us to have peace that passes all understanding especially when it comes to making decisions. So this next part of Proverbs is uh, Proverbs 6, verses 20 through 23. My son, comply with the commandment of your father. Now we have to remember, a lot of Proverbs was written in the form of a father passing along wisdom to his son. And a lot of, a lot of Proverbs are thought to come from David to Solomon. 
He goes on and says, You do not ignore the teaching of your mother. Bind them continually on your heart. Underline that word bind real quick. Bind them continually on your heart. Tie them around your neck. When you walk, they will guide you. When you sleep, they will watch over you. And when you awake, they will talk to you. For the commandment is a lamp and a teaching is light. And rebukes for discipline are, a way, are the way of life. Proverbs is written as that perspective of a father to a son, but it's also written for the ancient world, and it's, it's one generation talking to another generation. And if we look at God's word as one generation passed down to another generation, passed down to another generation, passed down to another generation, and we keep that wisdom flowing, then prayerfully, hopefully, if they're reading it, now we see a lot of times they're not. And, and it's sad to say that we're seeing the, the, the two generations, three generations behind us, predominantly now, each generation is going a little further away from God's word. And they're not really carrying through. Is it all our, our fault? I don't think so. But I think it's the world and Satan and its sin and itself that's sucking them away, basically. But we have to do what we can do while we're here to engage them and to encourage them to get in God's word. So it's passing down those priceless truths from one generation to the next. And it's an ongoing process that should never stop, no matter how into it or not into it they are. There's two phrases that summarize what I'm talking about. And that one, that first one is from verse 21. It says, bind them continually on your heart. And we know that the word bind means to tie something together. And he says that in the next verse. But the idea is attaching something strongly and permanently. Now, the best analogy I could think of this and, and is, is a pacemaker. Think about that for just a second. If any of you here have a pacemaker, they bind that pacemaker to your heart. And that pacemaker keeps your heart beating and keeps it regular and keeps it moving if it decides to stop, if you have AFib or things like that. But they bind it to your heart so it will give you life. And that's exactly what these Proverbs are talking about. If you bind these things to your heart and it's, and it's continually bound to your heart permanently, then it's going to keep working and keep giving you life. But if you only bind it temporarily, and that becomes another problem. Jesus' followers must bind it to their heart, must bind the word of God to their hearts, so that they can receive ongoing life and wisdom from God. It's not a one-time event, though. Think about this for a second. Instead, where it says, bind them continually to your heart, the word translated, translated continually actually means from the Greek never ending, never stopping, ongoing. And it can't be a one-shot deal. You can't, and, and I, I hear this from people occasionally, they'll, they'll come and they'll want counsel or talk on the phone or something to say, my, my life's in the toilet, this is going wrong, that's going wrong, it's going wrong, and I... We talked a little bit, and I said, well, how's your prayer life? And, eh, ho-hum. 
You know, how's your scripture reading? Uh, I haven't really done that in a while, but I got back into it. You did? Well, that's great. How long did you not, have you not been reading? How long have you not been praying? Oh, a couple of months. Well, here's the problem. You can't stay that far, long, far and long away and expect one time or two times of Bible reading and prayer to fix the problem. It took you months to get there. Right? So it's going to take you months to get back. We live in an instant, fast-paced society. Everybody wants something now. And they do the same thing with the Bible. It, it just, it, it baffles me sometimes. It saddens me, but it, but it baffles me. We have to continually treasure the word and the wisdom of God. We have to seek that wisdom and connect with that wisdom consistently and continually. You're not going to gain what you lost over two months in a couple of days. It doesn't work that way. <coughs> it's, not a, it's not what you would consider a microwave process. Let's say that. Too many, too many of Jesus' followers will ignore the word and ignore prayer, ignore going to church, Ignore fellowshipping with other believers at the expense of staying engaged, staying connected. And once they float away and they, they get under stress and they start to panic, they, they realize what they've done and they go back to it, but they want an instant fix. And there's not an instant fix, fortunately or unfortunately. That just doesn't work. Instead, you need to live God's word consistently. You need to saturate it into your life, and you need to secure, secure it into your life. Isaiah illustrates in chapter 55 a, a principle, a principle in a powerful way. He says, For as the rain and snow come down from heaven, and do not return there without watering the earth, and making it produce and sprout and provide seed, to the sower and bread to the eater. So will my word be which goes out of my mouth. It will not return to me empty without accomplishing what I desire and without succeeding in the purpose for which I sent it. Think about this. God's work, word works like rain and snow. When rain or snow comes, what does it basically do? waters the earth, right? But rain waters the earth right then. Does snow water the earth right then? Snow can hang around. If it's a, if it's a heavy snowpack, it can hang around for weeks or maybe even months. And it melts slowly. So rain, while it's instantaneous, snow will have to be melted to water the earth. Have you ever thought about God's word like rain and snow in your life? There's times in your life when you need rain and, you, and you, he supplies the feeding of that thirst right then. And he supplies the wisdom that you need right then. But there's other times when maybe he's, he, you've got a snowbank that's building up. And he's allowing that snowbank to build up in your life so that when you need it, when you have a big decision to make, 
He, through the power of the Holy Spirit, he melts that snow into your life so that you have the wisdom that you need right then to draw upon. And he waters your spirit at that point in time. You have to think about that snowbank in your lives and, and how you can draw from God's word and the wisdom that he gives us. What does it look like practically? You have to spend daily, daily time in God's word. It's part of your fellowship with Jesus. You can't disconnect from Jesus, and, and we've said this before in a lot of different ways, but you can't have a disconnected relationship vertically and expect everything horizontally to go right. But here's the problem. And a lot of relational things, we talked about relations for the last couple of weeks. If, if you're in the middle of a relationship and the relationship horizontally is going bad and you start getting right with God vertically, guess what? That other party's not going to like that sometimes. Especially if they're not a believer. So you have to be prepared for that. And sometimes that hurts. Because you may love the person dearly. But Scripture also tells us that you should not be yoked with a non-believer. Believers and unbelievers don't have the same things in common. Now they can have over time. But in a lot of instances I've seen it where the believer has, has to step away from the unbeliever just like we talked about last week. You know, you have to step up, you have to step back, or you have to step away. Okay? <clears throat> so first, you have to spend daily time in fellowship with Jesus. You know, if we want to experience God's peace truly, we have to make sure that we're in constant fellowship with Christ. It can't be off and on. It's just like if you're, if you're in a relationship at work or anything else, there has to be good communication. And there has to be ongoing communication. Because once that breaks down, you run into trouble. The second thing is, you have to spend time weekly, weekly, in God's Word with preaching and teaching. That means you go to small group Bible studies, you come to church, you get involved, you get engaged in God's Word. These are just practical principles to put in play. Okay? You have to submit yourself to God's teaching. And I don't particularly care. It needs to be God's word that's taught. I should say it that way. Third, you have to seek consistent, consistent fellowship with others. And that fellowship should be centered on God's word. If we want to be Christ-like, we have to be part of Christ's family. Listen, all, and I said this before, all this is on-the-job training for where we're going. If you can't get along with people down here, how in the world are you going to get along with people up there? God's going to clean us up. We're going to talk about that Sunday a little bit. We have to be in Scripture regularly. It's got to be a part of our conversations and our lives with others. Whether that's a spouse or your friend or a family member, 
your small group in church, the church as a whole, you've got to you've got to flesh out your relationship with Christ with others. And I'm putting together a challenge right now. I'll give you a heads up. <laughs> Last nine months of the year, I'm going to challenge you guys with something. And you'll learn more about it over the next few weeks. Okay? But it's a challenge for all of us, not just for a select few. It's for every single one of you sitting here. And I pray that it'll make a difference in your life and it'll make a difference in the life of church. <clears throat> the second phase that stands out that we have to remember and not ignore is what he said. Do not ignore the teaching in verse 20 of, of Proverbs 6. It's a pretty simple statement. One thing that is in the word under the word and around the word of God but it's something else to actively and obediently apply God's word to your life are you doing that don't answer out loud we need to actively and obediently obediently apply God's word to our life each and every day each and every week we have to connect with people and it's got to be consistent fellowship Listen, we're to be part of a family. We're to edify one another. We're to build each other up. We're to strengthen one another. We're to encourage one another. I've told you this on Sunday morning. The world outside does not like Christians. It's sad. Some of them are open. Some of them are closed. You're going to find that those that are open are willing to allow you to share your testimony with them and to share your life with them. Those that are closed, you're just going to have to step back and let those individuals go. Whether they're family or whether they're friends, co-workers, whatever it might be. Because those individuals, once they shut down, you're probably causing more damage by insisting they listen to you than if you would if you let them walk the path that they're walking and come to the realization that they need Christ. You can still bring it up if they'll allow you to. But when they tell you, no, I don't want to hear no more, you need to honor that. Because you don't want to be what makes them fall completely away from listening to anybody that wants to talk to them about Christ. Okay? You have to remember this. James, the brother of Christ, said this. He, he's got principle, he states here, in James 1, 22 and 25. But prove yourselves doers of the word and not just hearers who deceive themselves. I don't think anybody sitting here tonight wants to deceive themselves. But sometimes we get tired, we get frustrated, and, and we're not doing what we need to be doing. The first thing we need to be doing is keeping that relationship with Christ, that vertical relationship, correct. And then we need to be keeping our horizontal relationships with another, one another correct. He says, for if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks at his natural face in a mirror. For once he has looked at himself and gone away, he has immediately forgotten what kind of person he was. Now they're not talking about primping and fixing your hair. All right. <clears throat> but one who has looked intently at the perfect law, 
the law of freedom as it, and has continued in it, not having become a forgetful hearer, but an active doer. This person will be blessed in what he does. We want to be blessed in what we do, but we want to also be a blessing to others in how we respond and how we act. And I've told you before, we, don't, we, we have to learn not to react. We want to act appropriately. Because a reaction is something when you put vinegar and bacon soda together. Right? Or gasoline in a match. So don't just listen to God's word. Don't ignore God's teaching. Remember, it has to be a genuine submission to God to follow what his word says each and every day. It's got to be a genuine submission. And that's got to be heartfelt. You can't just give it lip service. You've got to give it heart, head, and hand service. All right? Questions, thoughts? Mary. One of the things I always tell people that, especially if they're newer Christians and they really haven't read much of the Bible, is don't start in Genesis. Go to the book of John. Learn who Jesus is. That's the best place for some, uh, somebody new to start. Learn who Jesus is first and what your life really means to Jesus and what he's done for us. So that's great advice, Mary. Thank you. Anyone else? Yeah, Nancy. At my old church, we studied, I don't know how I got this going, but I read Matthew, Martin, John's, according to what was happening. Yeah. So you so you basically put in the proper timeline. Yeah. Okay. That's cool. Very good. Anyone else? Hints, tips, ideas. Nobody? All right. Well I guess we're ready to go to prayer then. Prayer and praises. Mr. Rafi, you grab a microphone for us? Mr. Leonard's getting us one. Life is all right. Fly away.